John 13. We're going to be in verses 36 through 38, just the last uh, three verses in John 13. Then we'll uh, jump into John 14 next week, uh, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, as they say. Uh, But these final three verses of John 13, actually, we're going to look at Peter today. Uh, That's really what these last three verses of John 13 are centered on, on the Apostle Peter, uh, or the disciple Peter at this point. Uh, And so we're studying the Gospel of John to learn about Peter. That's what we're going to do today. Uh, And and here's what I love about this. In in movie and kind of literature terms, uh, TV even, there's a character usually, or there's a type of character that uh, people refer to as the everyman or the everywoman. Uh, there are certain actors that if you think of their roles that they've played, that's kind of what they play, the everyman. Uh, and so uh, th- this is that character that kind of a lot of people can relate to. And I think Peter is like that in the Gospels. I think a lot of us relate to him. He's the guy we hear about the most, actually, in the Gospel. And so he seems to be the most relatable because he, he, he's almost the most humanized. He's like the, most, the, the one we get the biggest picture of. And so... Uh, If you know the rest of your New Testament, you know that Peter plays an incredibly important role in the history of the church, in the history of what we're a part of in the big C global church. And at the same time, we also read things like we're going to read today, where Peter is Peter, right? The, The kind of sort of stereotype that we maybe have in our mind in the church of kind of Peter. And so I want to start this off by reading these three verses, and then I'll pray, and then we'll kind of dive into this text together. Uh, and so we get to learn from reading about Peter's life in the Gospels that, that he's kind of an exemplar of what it looks like to be a pretty average person who's just doing their best to follow Jesus and see the transformation that happens uh, in, in someone's life. So this is John thirteen thirty six to 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay your life down for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus, again, we ask for your guidance in this text. Holy Spirit, we ask for your filling as we look at this text and what it means for us. And Father, we thank you for uh, your love for us as we read this text, see ourselves in it, and come back to you once again. We pray this in Jesus' name once again. Amen. Uh, So I was doing my best this week to prepare for this morning uh, in the midst of like dodging a hurricane and uh, driving to Florida and back. And so uh, I might look at my notes a little more often than I want to, but um, I mentioned this already. When you read and pay attention to them, uh, in, through this lens of like noticing Peter. Peter's all over the place in the Gospels, in all four Gospels. He actually has, uh, no disciple is spoken of as often as Peter is spoken of. Uh, and so if you didn't know it, Peter, sometimes he's called Cephas, that's the same guy, but he is spoken of all, the, all over the place in the Gospels. Uh, no, no disciple was spoken to in the Gospels by Jesus as much as Peter was. Uh, no disciple was corrected by Jesus as much as Peter or as strongly as Peter was. He even got called the devil one time, so that's pretty crazy. Uh, he was also the only disciple who was bold enough to actually attempt to correct Jesus, Right? Uh, and so he was a speak first, think second kind of guy. That's the picture we get from him. If you've ever worked around a construction site or done home improvement projects, Peter was the don't measure and then cut twice guy, not the measure twice, cut once guy, 
right? He, he acts first and then he thinks later. He's kind of the epitome of like a paradox of following Jesus. I think a lot like many of us, if we're honest, he goes from some high highs with Jesus to the lowest of lows. Like we get this full picture. No disciple ever confessed Jesus as boldly as Peter, right? You're the, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He says that. And then it seems like none of the other disciples bothered Jesus as much as Peter did, right? He, he kind of bugged him. But what we know is that Jesus loved Peter, and Peter loved Jesus. And so Jesus spoke words of blessing over Peter, words of approval to Peter uh, that, that he didn't speak to anybody else, right? He, he said to Peter that, that the church would be built. He said those kind of things to Peter. And, and yet at the same time, and almost in the same breath, Jesus says harsh things to Peter, harsh things to Peter. Um, if you've ever studied it, uh, th- there's a, a book in kind of a world of thinking about love called Love Languages. And I think for Peter, maybe kind of harsh language was a little bit of his love language. And, and so Jesus says incredibly encouraging things to Jesus and then really, really hard things or to, to Peter and really, really hard things as well. Uh, really harsher things even than he said to Judas, if you think about it. And so in all four, this was a, a, an interesting tidbit I had never known before, never seen before. In all four lists of the apostles given in the gospel, the order of the names varies, but Peter is always first and Judas is always last in those lists, which is kind of interesting. So, so the gospels are, are in one way testifying to Peter's sort of primary role in the apostles. Peter was always talking, uh, Sometimes he shouldn't have been, right? I really relate to him on that front, like talking but shouldn't be. That's me. Uh, But sometimes his words are incredibly insightful. Sometimes he put his foot in his mouth, and sometimes he said really, really incredible things. Here's some examples. Shortly after Jesus calls him as the disciples, uh, he sees the miracle of the great catch of fish in Luke chapter 5. Peter cries out, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Uh, When Jesus asked Peter who he was, Peter, we, we mentioned this, his famous Uh, response in Matthew 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then just six verses later, when Jesus spoke of the cross, Peter says, far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. So he goes from incredible insight to kind of didn't get it, right? In the story of the storm, we see the fullness of the highs and the lows of Peter with Jesus, right? He, He calls out, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water in Matthew 14, 28. And then just a few moments later, he says, save me when doubt overtakes him. So we see all of it. When in John 6, what, 48 weeks ago or whatever it was, in John 6, we saw uh, all, everybody abandon Jesus, right? The disciples ab- abandon him. Uh, and, and Jesus says, do you want to go away as well? And what does Peter say? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Amazing. But it's the same guy who at the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus is literally shining like the sun, says to Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus, if you want, I can make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Kind of a ridiculous idea. So it's the same guy. And then we get to the upper room, as we have seen for the last couple of weeks, and Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. And then he turns around and says, you know what? Wash my whole body. He just, he goes 
from high to low and everywhere in between. So there's two things about Peter that sort of uh, lead to the, to the presumption he is about to make in John that I read from our text earlier. Uh, and, and, that, and also it leads to that presumption, but also his place sort of at the center of uh, the disciples. Uh, the first is that Peter is, he's, he's a loud, impulsive guy. That's the picture we get from him. Uh, but secondly, he loved Jesus deeply. Right? He, he did foolish things and said foolish things, but he always came back to Jesus. And so those two things mix together and we end up where we end up in our text. And, and Peter does this really kind of crazy presumptive thing that we see in our text in John 13. So we're back to our scene here in John 13. Let's set it up a little bit. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. Uh, he has dipped the morsel and called, for, called Judas out for his betrayal. Judas has left now. John has said it was night. That's, all, that's true that it was night, but also it's a sort of poetic way of John saying the darkness is here in, in this gospel account now. And Jesus has then given them this new commandment to love one another. It, it's, again, it's nighttime. The, it's just hours from the death of Jesus. And so Jesus talks to the remaining disciples here about his own glorification. In John 13, I'm going to jump back a little bit to 31 to 33. When he had gone out, Jesus, that's Judas, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me and just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you where I am going you cannot come. Now, I don't know if Peter was distracted, not listening. Maybe he was making more motions to John about something, as we saw uh, in the previous verses. But it seems like he missed the part of what Jesus said uh, when, when Jesus said, where I'm going, you can't come. Because then he says, verse 36, where are you going? And Jesus basically repeats himself, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me afterward. Now, Peter doesn't know that Jesus is being prophetic here, but he's going to realize it later, right? And I, in this moment, though, I don't know if Jesus is trying to like intentionally push Peter's buttons a little bit to get, to get him to understand the point, uh, but based on Peter's reaction, his buttons are pushed, right? L listen to Peter's response. Lord, why can I not follow you now, right? Hear the sort of the, the shock and maybe even a little bit of like indignation in Peter's voice. What do you mean I can't go with you now? Why can't I go with you now? I'll lay my life down for you. Right? This is Peter. This is classic vintage Peter. This is what we see from him. What do you mean I can't follow you? I'll die for you. Now, I think Peter meant what he said. This is Peter. He is, as a couple commentators said, he is braggadocious. Right? He, he means what he said. This is who he is. It's like if the Roman guards have co had come in right then, Peter would have tried to fight them. He would have tried to bar the door, fight them right there. And so we're reminded here by Peter of Proverbs 16.8, which said, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And so Peter has this problem here. He's prideful about what? His presumption comes partly from his, you know, still learning to follow Jesus' assumptions about what it means, but it partly also comes from a mistaken sort of 
overestimation of his own strength, of his own abilities. Following Christ is the most difficult challenge in your life, if you follow him, and it requires more than you have. It requires more than your ability, more than your strengths. It requires the life of Christ in us by his spirit, and Peter doesn't yet know that in its fullness. Uh, Alexander Witt or White in his work Bible Characters said this, Peter was born a supreme man. Nature herself, as we call her, had, with her ever bountiful and original hands, stamped his supremacy upon Peter before he was born. And when he came to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, he entered on and continued to hold that natural and aboriginal supremacy. So what's he saying? Peter was used to just using his physical strength. Now remember, these are young men. I just saw a study that said men don't fully mature until 43. I don't know what to say about that, but I got a few years to go. But Peter was a young man. But don't be distracted by that. It, it is what it is. And I wish I hadn't said it now. Um, Peter was born a physical specimen, right? He's, he's a man's man, if you will. And he's used to just using this physical and even sort of personality strength, which, don't hear me wrong, is a blessing and God can use. God will use that about Peter later when he preaches at Pentecost. But here, Peter is so used to overcoming whatever he wanted to overcome by just his personality, his strength, and his almost intimidation that he just can't fathom not being able to go with Jesus wherever he's going. What do you mean I can't go with you? I can do whatever I want. I can overcome anything. I'm Peter. And Jesus just gently tells Peter that, that where he's going, physical strength is not going to cut it. That's not what's needed for this task. But at the same time, Peter is not just some brute. Um, he's more than uh, what one commentator said is, com he's commonly thought of as the homiletical whipping boy. Meaning, when you talk about Peter in your preaching, he's easy to make a target of. And to say, oh, well, Peter was just this big idiot, you know. But, but he's more than that. Peter deeply loves Jesus. I really want to get that across. He loves Jesus, and he just could not stand the thought of being separated from him. And so Peter is speaking from the heart here when he says this. And so Jesus answered him in verse 38, will, will you lay your life down for me? And then Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Right? Ouch. Now, this is in front of everybody. This is in the room. That this is how close they are. Jesus is kind of saying, Peter, if, if you, if, if you want to keep going there, I, I mean, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Not, not in a hurt. Jesus isn't doing it to hurt Peter. Jesus loves Peter. But Jesus is just telling Peter the truth. Um, I remember someone saying that people don't like it sometimes when you hold a mirror up to them. And, and that's a little bit of what Jesus is doing here. Peter, I love you, but you're going to deny me. Peter didn't know in his strength how weak he actually was. And so it seems that Jesus' words here really cut Peter to the heart because he doesn't say anything else uh, in the upper room. Imagine Peter uh, sulking. One person that I read this week said like a puppy with their tail between their legs, right? He's sulking in the corner of the room like I can't believe 
I just got that from Jesus. Now, the, the rest of Peter's story goes outside of the passage that we're focused on today, but, but it's helpful to kind of complete the picture of who we're talking about here, uh, of this uh, Im, Im, impulsive guy. And so let, let's kind of, I'm just going to walk you through kind of what else happens to Peter. As this night wears on, the meal finishes, Jesus and his disciples, they sing a hymn, they leave the room, they cross uh, a ravine, uh, in the Kidron Valley, and they ascend to Gethsemane, where Jesus, if you know the story, goes into this prayer so agonizingly deep that uh, the scriptures say he sweat what appeared like drops of blood. He comes to the disciples repeatedly over and over, including, don't forget, Peter, only to find them sleeping. And Jesus is like, can you guys please pray with me? Pray for me? And so after a time, they, they become aware of a, this crowd approaching. They see spears, they see swords, and Judas with that kiss of betrayal. And so then Peter takes action. Maybe you know the story. Uh, this is from later on in John in chapter 18. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Peter, is, Peter means business here. There's some debate, did Peter miss and get the ear, uh, or did Peter mean to cut the ear? I tend to think Peter was going for the head, and he got the ear. He meant business. He, he was literally out for blood in that moment. He, he means well in terms of defending his friend Jesus, his, his rabbi, and so Jesus replies to him, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Right? Jesus saying, Peter... This is what I came here for. Am I going to not complete my task after all this? So Jesus healed Malchus's ear. He's taken away. And Peter and John are left sort of stumbling behind, following after at a distance. And then comes the scene that Jesus had predicted. Uh, I won't you know, go through the whole thing, but Peter denies Jesus verbally three times, the last time with some of that fisherman language that he probably knew. And then we read this from Luke's gospel. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Right? You want to talk about looking into your soul, this is it. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Why? Because he loved Jesus. Now, uh, I would argue that maybe none of the disciples, none of us have, had we been there, would have predicted this moment. We would have not predicted this kind of downfall for Peter. The, the, this great apostle, he fails at the moment of his human strength. Like, what made him strong in all of his humanity and his relationships is what failed him. If you read the Gospels, you get the sense that Peter is what we might call an extrovert. He likes to talk to people. And that's what centers around his downfall here, the fact that he's talking to people and interacting with them. But this natural extrovert and his naturally brave guy, he's willing to start a fight with Rome. It's either brave or stupid. Right? So this guy who's not afraid, he couldn't bear the ridicule and that feeling of shame and failure. And so our greatest human strengths are never, no matter what they are, whether they're like Peter or otherwise, are never enough in themselves to follow Christ. 
So ask yourself, what is your strength? Maybe some of the things we sang about, right? That Jesus is better than those. Is it your ability to do something? Is it your charm? Is it your discipline? Is it your intellect? Whatever your strengths are, as much as Christ can and will use those things, they in themselves, without his Holy Spirit, are not enough to follow him. And so we prepare ourselves, if we are prideful like Peter, for a fall like Peter. Uh, This natural ability in and of ourselves is always going to end up denying Jesus somewhere, someplace, because you need his spirit in you. No one will ever know um, that, I mean, that had to be anguish of soul that Peter experienced in that moment. Just as John says, it was dark. It was night. Right? And so there's this period of darkness, what you might call the dark night of the soul, of these hours of Jesus in the grave. And something in Peter died that during those hours. So something earthly in Peter got put in the grave with Jesus. In the Alliance, we might say, this is a perfect, great example of a crisis experience of faith. That Peter had to come to terms with my own strength didn't, didn't do it. I ended up denying Jesus. Peter, the natural man, with all his self-assured presumption, had to die. Peter was beginning to know the, the, the true self that Jesus is bringing to life. He, he was defeated that night, but listen, God was not done with him, and God is not done with any of us. If you're breathing, he's not done with you. And so when we get to John 21, we'll see that Jesus restores Peter over that breakfast on the beach and speaks life into him and brings him back. And so the Peter we see in John 21 and the Peter we see in the book of Acts is a resurrection Peter. It's a different Peter. He's a changed person. The day of Pentecost, his life displayed the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit's filling in him. We see in Acts 2 that he is not afraid now, but in a different way. Acts 2 verse 23, his sermon, this is a searing indictment that he delivers on Pentecost. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, who you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This is Peter speaking to the Jews, saying, you killed Jesus. And in front of Caiaphas, the same Jewish religious leader who ordered the death of Jesus, Peter said this in Acts 4. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you as well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love that little section. This is a side note. I love that for those of us who feel like, well, I don't have all the knowledge. I don't have all the education to debate people. But have you been with Jesus? That's what's important. These these men were recognized for their boldness. They were uneducated men. They were fishermen. But they'd been with Jesus and they'd been trained. 
So Peter had become a rock, right? That, that's what we know him as. He, he's stronger after the fall than he had been before. I, I say this about relationships all the time. So often relationships, when they go through that, uh, that, that uh, break and then reconciliation can be stronger than they ever were before. And the same is true in our own spirit. Immediately after uh, Peter was restored by Jesus, Jesus speaks prophetically about Peter's own death. This is uh, from John 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. I think this is a reference to Peter's own crucifixion. And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Now, Jesus' words there are not entirely clear. They're poetic, they're prophetic. But what is clear is that Peter's death would, uh, he would be a feeble old man dependent on other people, is what Jesus is saying to him. The, the traditional view of Peter is that he's crucified upside down in Rome because he claims he's not worthy to be crucified right side up. And so what we see in that dramatically weak state is that Peter is an incredible demonstration of the power of Jesus to transform a life and bring strength out of weakness. That, that God almost waited until Peter's natural strength was at its lowest to use him to glorify himself the most in Peter's death. Uh, Alexander McLaren, one commentator, said this, we may be stronger for our sins, but not because sin strengthens for sin weakness, but it is because God restores. It reminded me uh, of a line from a band called King's Kaleidoscope that I love, where they say every uh, sin is now a story of grace to retell. So, so what happened to Peter happened to some degree or in some way to all the apostles there with Jesus at this point, and it happens to each and every person who follows Jesus today. The apostle Paul, another apostle, he's one of the greatest minds the church has ever had. He's used by God as a, really the mastermind of the missionary movement to Asia Minor, right? He's, he's a missionary example of the early church, and yet it seems he's not naturally bold because in the gospel or in the book of Ephesians, he asks for prayer for boldness. He says in Ephesians 6, pray also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. But at the same time, the Paul we know in the New Testament is also full of boldness. Well, how, how does this work? In Acts 14, we read the record of he gets dragged out of the city of Lystra. He gets stoned. He gets beaten. He gets left for dead. And, and uh, the disciples are standing around him thinking he's dead. He like pops an eye open and says, let's go back. And they go right back in to Lystra where he just came from. And, and, and I'm sure you've heard them before, but consider these words from Paul. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is Paul saying, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The apostle Paul later on understands the source of his power as being found in Christ. He says in Colossians 2, for in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled with him. 
Uh, one, one other commentator, uh, J.B. Lightfoot, said this in this way. Your fullness comes from his fullness. His, uh, I'm going to try to pronounce this, pleroma, which is the Greek word for divine fullness, uh, is transferred into you by virtue of your incorporation into him. His fullness becomes our fullness. Uh, there are other streams of Christianity that might talk about this with a word, uh, theosis, that we become the divine nature over time. And, and so this is exactly what happens to Peter. Second Peter 1.4 says, He has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become, what? Partakers in the divine nature. That this is what it means when we say someone is godly. Another way to say it is they are godlike. They have become partakers in the divine nature and they are walking in that. It was the life of Christ in Peter. And then in Galatians, we read again from Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this body and in this kingdom, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So our sufficiency to live with God in the world comes from being filled with the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. And so if we ask him, he will give his power to us. Luke 11, Jesus says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So ask him. Like, I'm convicted as I'm preparing this this week, man, that's not a normal, it's not as normal of a part of my prayer life as it should be. Just saying, Holy Spirit, just, just fill me, do your thing, fill me. I, I don't have it in myself. Can you fill me, Spirit? And, and maybe you're like me, you come from a tradition where you're like not even sure what that looks like, that kind of freaks you out, like fill me with the Spirit, ugh. But just ask anyway. Just go for it and see what God will do. So, so here's what I hope you'll walk away from with this portrait of Peter from John. That God is always working to show us that even those things that we count as our greatest natural strength are, by his standards, still pretty weak. And they're not going to get it done. When this principle is put to, to work uh, uh, but by being filled with God's spirit, God will use your strengths and actually make them holy and enhance them and use them to build his church just like he did with Peter. But even more glorious are weaknesses, even more glory for God in our weaknesses when we allow God to flip those on his head and become an opportunity for God to shine through. Let me just close with 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Let me pray. Father, thank you again for uh, this time we get to spend together. Thank you that uh, we do get to meet in this place freely, and we even get to broadcast this on the internet freely uh, without fear of many of the things that our brothers and sisters around the world do fear. Help us to um, remember them in their suffering and be willing to enter into the suffering that is around us so that you might, in our weakness in those moments, fill us with your spirit that we might become what you want us to be uh, for your glory alone. And we ask, Holy Spirit, we ask again that you would fill us 
in this place and fill our lives again with a fresh sense of what we have in you. Uh, and, and Father, we again thank you for the love that you have for us and adopting us into your family, making us sons and daughters. We were once not a people, but now we're your people. And we treasure that and we thank you for that. And we ask that you would bless uh, the rest of the time we spend together this morning and our week and as we come back week after week to grow in you in this place that you would bless that as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand and we're gonna have a benediction from the book of Numbers. Those of you watching online, we're really glad that you're joining in with us today and just wanna invite you to connect with us online uh, at lansdown.church is the easiest way. Uh, and you can click on a connect button there. The rest of us in the room, we are going to take communion in just a few minutes. And just a word for those of you who are watching online, uh, communion is something really special that you really have to be in the room for. And so the invitation is for all of you to join us in person. Uh, although we are glad to have the technology we have, we realize that there's just some things that just don't work over technology and community, real authentic community is one of those. And a picture of that is in the communion meal. And so that's why we do things the way we do. This is Numbers chapter six to close our public service. And then uh, in a couple minutes, there'll be a countdown on the screen. We'll come back in this room and partake in the Lord's supper together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.